And I've said this many times, and I know I sound like a broken record. The concern that we have for Christians today is, is that they don't know their Bible enough to be able to lead somebody to Christ. Now, to be a soul winner, that doesn't mean that you're out there winning their souls and you're getting them saved, amen? But you should have enough knowledge of God's Word to open up God's Word and show someone step-by-step how to understand that there is a sinner in need of a Savior and that Jesus Christ, who was the Messiah, is the Messiah, is our King, is our Savior, died on the cross for them and was buried and rose again right to gain victory for that individual. Amen? You should be able to know God's Word enough to show them how that happens in His Word. So as we go, turn in your Bibles here to Acts chapter 8. Our text will be Acts chapter 8, verses uh, 1 through 8. And today's lesson is a striving to reach souls. In our context here, I've got two places here. Let me keep track of everything. It says here, uh, and Saul was consenting unto his death. This is talking about Stephen here. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the, uh, the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great uh, lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame, were healed. And there was great joy in that city. You know that there is a mandate, which we don't like to hear sometimes, but there is a mandate for us to reach souls. Your purpose of coming here, uh, right, and, and attending church is so that, number one, right, is that you hear the Word of God, you understand what the gospel is, you're discipled enough to where you learn to feed yourself, amen, to a certain degree, and that you lead someone else to Christ. Plain and simple, right? There's a graduation process, and that graduation process is so that you can be used of the Lord and be uh, ministering here at New Hope Baptist Church. You know, I went through four years of uh, Bible Institute with one of my pastors. And it wasn't, the end result wasn't so that I was this great theologian. Because uh, when you talk to me, I can barely, you know, pronounce thee, you know, or thou. You know, it makes my head hurt, Right? But what I did learn was how to be a better help to my pastor. I learned how to help. I learned how to work in ministry. Right? Okay. Everybody's still asleep. 
that mandate that we see in winning souls, amen, is in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says here, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That is a mandate, folks. That's not a suggestion. And I don't do a good job at that, of that mandate, just to be transparent. But notice here what has happened back in Acts chapter 8 now. Things were wonderful, right? They received the Holy Spirit. They were empowered to, to, to give the gospel. They gave the gospel there in Jerusalem and then in Samaria. And then guess what happens? All of a sudden, they get scattered, right? Now all of a sudden, Satan says, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have fun. And I'm going to cause persecution in the church right? And Satan always thinks he's got the upper hand, but he don't. He don't. And so what we see here is, is that in, in this passage of Scripture that the saints uh, were scattered. So in, in point number one, if you're keeping your notes there, is the scattering, the scattering of the saints. Now, when we first look at that, it seems kind of tragic, right? I'll be honest with you. If I was a born-again Christian, and, and I would, I'd be upset. I wouldn't want to have to move. I wouldn't have to be running from somebody, you know, by the name of Saul, that jerk. I mean, think about it. Put yourself in their shoes. You know, who is he? You know, well, you know, he was part of the lower Sanhedrin court, by the way, and he was a, he, he was a known fella, right? And so, but we see here is there was a scattering of the saints, and A there is there, uh, they, they were scattered by severe persecution. That persecution was an unexpected means, wasn't it? I would think, man, uh, we just added 3,000 people to the church. We're eating every day. That's my favorite part is eating. Every day we were having Papa's Pizza every day. You know, preaching the gospel, eating the hungry man's salad and, and, you know, double pepperoni, extra cheese, you know, on a Papa's pepperoni pizza. That's the best way to go. Right? Amen? Uh, but, so, to me, life would be hunky-dory, but guess what happens? There's this persecution that, that happens. And because of that, there was this scattering, Right? There was a scattering of the saints. James 1, 1 through 3 says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes, which are what? Scattered abroad. Greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. You know, if I was sitting there and James would originally said that to me, I probably would have been rolling my eyes. I'd be like, quit giving me a hard time, James. But be there, he says, they were scattered, but still, guess what? They were still preaching. They were still preaching. These uh, Christians had some grit to them. Right? And we want to make sure that we live at peace with all men, if at all possible. Right? But one thing that we... uh, want to make sure is is that we stand for what's right. Now, I, I don't, I, 
I don't necessarily agree with always getting political, right? Because all politics does really is just divide people. But there's, there's, it's either right or it's wrong. And that's one of the problems with our country, right? Is they want to blur those lines. But, but there's an absolute truth. And it's found in God's word. Right? It's not relative truth. That's what they're trying to teach you. Is there's relative truth. Right? What's true for you really maybe is not necessarily true for me. Well, that's hogwash. God's word is absolute truth. You want to know what absolute truth is, start reading your Bible. Okay, that was a little little advertisement there. But they were still preaching. Acts chapter 8, verse 25 says, And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. This is yet another example of God's ability to turn into good what the devil intended for evil. Genesis 50, 20 says, But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring it to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. You know, sometimes we think we're in a bad situation, we're in bad, uh, bad circumstance, right? But God is going to use that to create something good for his benefit and for his glory. Romans 8, 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. A great characteristic in the lives of the first century Christians was that you could could not extinguish their gospel light. Yeah. Yeah, you couldn't extinguish their gospel light. They were still, even under heavy persecution, they were still preaching the gospel. That's amazing to me, to tell you the honest truth. Number two there in your notes is the spirit of the soul winner. We see in the spirit of the early believers a passion for Christ combined with compassion for souls. As you develop your compassion for Christ, right, you'll end up having a compassion for souls. Now you say, well, how how do I have my compassion for Christ? Well, number one, the first step is salvation. And then the second step is spending time with God. A lot of times Christians in their lives, and including me at times, we sprinkle enough God in our lives to ease our conscience. But that doesn't mean that we're Holy Spirit-filled and Holy Spirit-led every single day. That sounds weird, doesn't it? But that was originally God's intent. God's intent is is that you don't really let the job get in the way. You don't let money get in the way. You don't let relationships get in the way. You're simply talking and walking with the Lord every single day. I I always wonder what kind of person I would be if I wasn't distracted by all of the outside influences in my life. You say, well, you sound like a weirdo. Well, yeah, I understand that certain things, you know, I have to pay bills and I have to work and God created work and God has allowed opportunities for me to work. 
right? But that shouldn't be my main focus. My main focus should be God. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me, right? In Matthew, seek ye first the kingdom of God. So that's the first thing I'm supposed to seek. Then I'm supposed to seek my job or seek whatever else I want to seek after in accordance with God's will, which is laid out in God's Word. Okay? I'm looking at some younger people because the issue is is that you want to have a grand success in your life, you follow what God tells you. What happens a lot of times is we get a basic idea of who we think God is and then we wander off in the woods ourselves and do things our way because you're always going to fight your will against God's will. But I'm here to tell you it's easier when you follow God's will. It's easier when you submit and you do what God wants you to do. um, You say, well, you're getting kind of rough there, Brother Dale. Well, it's leading into my next point, which is, A, we must have a spirit of, guess what? Obedience. You want to be used of God. You want to have an impact in people's lives. Be obedient to God's word. And you know what that means sometimes? You're going to have to be obedient to the God-given authorities in your life. Okay, Brother Dale, we don't like that. You tell me to obey God, I'll obey God. But obey somebody who's in authority over me? Well, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that God has, those are God-given authorities, right? That God sets the kings, God sets the presidents, God sets those who are in control of us, right? He sets those in place. So whether you agree with President Biden or not, God has allowed President Biden to be the president. God has placed him as president. Am I very happy about that? Well, on a personal level, maybe not. But the issue is, is I'm supposed to still reverence that as as God-given authority. (laughs) You know, we complain a lot. We complain a lot as Americans. But, you know, I mean, everybody else kind of giggles at us. You know, England's thousands of years old, right? And they've had good kings and bad kings. And I would have hated to live under some of them other kings. Right and and uh, you you know and by the way that's why America was so unique right Amen because we understood the old world order right which was hey if you don't believe the same way I do you know you you're under the sword and guess where that came from Augustinian theology okay I'm getting a little too thick right. You say, well, don't talk about St. Augustine that way. Well, amen. Either you're saved by faith or you're saved by works. And my Bible says that you're saved by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Okay, so we must have a spirit of obedience. There's two reasons why. 
First is the very act of witnessing is in obedience to Jesus Christ. We read that in Acts chapter 1, didn't we, in verse 8. It's a mandate. We're supposed to be obedient to that. You say, ah, I don't like that. Okay, let's move on to the second. Second, we must learn to obey the still, small voice of God when he seeks to guide us individually, directing us to special opportunities or impressing on us to exercise extra efforts in the, in the area of soul winning. You're saying, hmm, well, that sounds weird. Well, here's the thing. Is, is that if you attune yourself to God, if you, if you seek God first, and you make God a priority, guess what? You're going to be able to hear Him more. Now, it's not like there's a weird thing that happens, right? How do we talk to God? Very basically, by prayer, right? And how does God talk to us? Through His Word, right? Now, I, I'm not necessarily putting God in a particular frame right, or a particular box, amen, but you know, you got to be careful when you listen to some people, they say, well, God came and visited me, and spoke to me, well, okay, maybe that might be true, but you know, you're going to learn who God is through his word, okay, and so that's how God speaks to us, so the more time you spend in God's word, the more you're going to, you're going to, listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because if you're a born-again Christian, you have the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, right? Okay. So man is a trichotomy. He's made up of three parts, mind, body, and soul, right? Okay. And then when you become saved, there's really a fourth dimension, which is the Holy Spirit. Not really a dimension, but there's the Holy Spirit, right? Now, the difference between a carnal Christian and a spirit-filled Christian is one who has submitted to the leading of the Holy Spirit. A carnal Christian still allows the flesh to run the show, make the decisions and to run the show. A spirit-filled Christian is simply someone who has submitted themselves under the leadership of Christ, of God, the Holy Spirit, in their lives. So when that happens, guess what? You're going, okay, God, where do you want me to go? Okay, God, what do you want me to say? Okay, God, what do you want me to wear? What do you want me to do, God? On a daily basis. You know, some of you are staring at me like calves staring at a gate. I've raised about six teenagers, though. And I have to tell them that. They say, well, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do this. I said, well, have you asked God? Because, by the way, if you're a born-again Christian, you don't belong to yourself anymore. You do not have the right to make your own decisions anymore. You need to consult God. You say, well, you're moving away. It's easy for you to say, I will tell you this, that before I made any major decisions, I sought the will of God first, and then I went to my pastor. But when you get... When you want to seek godly counsel and you pull your pastor aside and you ask your pastor what he thinks he ought to do, then you better do what he says. Because you're just wasting time. All right. Okay. Well, I know it's not popular. 
but that's part of obedience, isn't it? You say, well, I can't just blindly follow a, a man of God. Yeah, you can. You can. Absolutely. It doesn't mean that you've stopped thinking up here. Well, what you've done is you've submitted yourself to the leadership and the authority that God has placed in your life. The question is, how wrong can you go if you submit to that? That's my challenge. That's my challenge to anybody. As I can look back in my life, and I have followed, when I followed biblical counsel, and I followed those who were in authority over me, my life was a lot better. I can't look back at where, you know, I followed the advice of a pastor, and it was just terrible advice. Okay. Notice here, I know, everybody's starting to frown at me. It's the last Sunday school for me, so just put your seatbelt on. B is, is that you, we must have a spirit of urgency, though. So we must have a spirit of obedience, but we must have a spirit of urgency. Acts 8.30 says, And Philip ran thither to him. And if you read in parts of, uh, in the latter part of chapter 8, we, we're, we're, we're in the story of Philip where he ran to the Ethiopian, right? He was obedient to uh, the Holy Spirit. He's obedient to the Lord. And God brought him to this Ethiopian. But he brought him there with urgency. If you're a parent, don't you appreciate when your children obey right away? I would think that God would be pleased with me, you know, if I obeyed right away. Jesus uh, modeled this principle for us during his earthly ministry in John 9, 4. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh with when no man can work. There was an urgency there. You know, people die every day. I don't even know what the statistics are. But people die every day. The question I ask myself is, where's my urgency then? Where's my obedience and where's my urgency? See there in your notes, we must have a spirit of boldness. So obedience, urgency, and boldness. Philip needed boldness. God granted it to him. He approached the chariot and seeing the Ethiopian, reading the Old Testament scriptures, he asked him if he understood what he was reading, didn't he? You know, a lot of times we, if we were there, we would have said, oh, it looks like he's kind of busy, you know. Well, I don't want to bother him. Looks like he's combing his hair and kind of busy or, you know, he's, I don't know, making jokes with the horse or something. He's busy, right? Acts chapter 8, verse 30 says, And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Esaias and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. You know, we need to skip the excuses and realize that we are the children of God on a mission from him, 
operating under his all-encompassing authority. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. No doubt some will accept and some will reject, but that's not ours to analyze, though. Right? Our task is to give the message clearly, frequently, and boldly. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. So number three there, and then I'll be done. The salvation of a soul. Do you enjoy hearing people's personal testimonies of how they came to Christ? You know, I do. I mean, you know, that's why there's times of testimony is at time, right? It's because it's important for me to hear that God is, is working in other people's lives. Right? Because let's, let's be honest. We live by faith, not by sight. Right? And it's easy to, to read God's word and hear about God, but it's another thing to see God. And you say, well, what are you talking about? How do you see God? You see God when other people testify of how he has worked in their lives, how he has answered prayers, how he has worked out circumstances. That's how you know that God is real and God is alive. Right? Okay. The salvation of a soul. A, there, the significance of the scriptures must be understood. Acts uh, chapter 8 again in verse 32 and 33. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shear, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. That's talking about Jesus. That's talking about my Savior. Notice that the uh, Ethiopian's decision to believe on Christ began with and was in response to the word of God. By the way, this is a true case for all conversions in the Bible. Galatians 3.24 says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by what? Faith. We would not know of our sin and our need for a Savior were it not for the word of God. Romans 7.7, 7, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. And we would know, uh, know nothing of God's remedy for sin, the Lord Jesus Christ, without God's word, the Bible. Isaiah fifty five eleven. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. You know, all the tracks and all the stuff, all the mailing out that we did of the gospel, that did not just go to waste. That was not a waste of time. Okay? It's going to prosper. 
We must remember that our power in witnessing is in the Word of God, not our own persuasiveness or apologetics, but in the Word. That's why you find a good Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Bible-preaching church. I don't want to hear some man's philosophy. I don't want to hear about this great theologian so-and-so who had his own interpretation of the Bible. You know, one fellow said the issue with commentators, they're just commentators like everybody else. You know, everybody's got their own opinion. Everybody's got their own take on what the Word of God is. Be very careful with that. Be very careful with just simply reading commentaries on the Word of God. Don't look to man as the final authority. God's the final authority. You, you, you get into a Bible debate with somebody and they say, well, you know, fancy-smancy theologian so-and-so said this, and that's, that's, what, that's it. Well, no, that's not necessarily it. Don't use that in place of God's Word. You can use those things to enhance your study, enhance those things in order to understand what God is trying to tell you. They're all great resources, some of those things. But don't solely rely on that. Rely only on God's Word. We must remember that our power in witnessing is in the Word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith cometh by what? Hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. That's why not only do we have to live a life and have a testimony that is pleasing to the Lord, but we've also got to say something, though, too. We've got to say something out of our mouths as a witness to somebody, right? Because how else are they going to... They're not going to go, well, I, I listened to your testimony. No, you saw my testimony. Now, let me tell you what God's Word says. The sacrifice of the Savior must be proclaimed. Acts 8, 34 through 35 says, And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh, speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Whenever we take people to God's word, the one we always find is, guess what, Jesus. One of the greatest uh, Bible teachers that I ever was able to sit under uh, was uh, Pastor Mert Haskell. And Pastor Mert Haskell, which, who, who was at uh, the Croxtons, Croxtons? Croxtons visited his church in Laytonville there in California and knew him. They graduated out of Bob Jones together. It was shocking. Oh, Brother Croxton, I met him on the, on the ferry. I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, hey, preacher. I said, why don't you come over here and eat with my family? How do you know I'm a preacher? Well, I had an inside scoop, amen. But I said, I could just tell. Anyway, he sat down. And, but Pastor Mert Haskell went through, and he taught me. He would come over every Saturday morning. We'd have pancakes and bacon and stuff. But he taught me how to find Jesus Christ in every passage of Scripture. Right? That's why I know some of you think I'm a weirdo. 
But there's parts in Isaiah where he says, hey, uh, where they've laid the stripes against the Lord Jesus Christ for my sin. I go, yay! That's a picture of the rainbow. See, y'all staring at me like I'm a weirdo. Learn to be a student of God's Word. Because when you'll read that, you'll say, yeah, that's the rainbow. Yay! Right? Because that's what the prime Hebrew word is for the rainbow in Genesis. Yeah. You look at the, you look at the Hebrew lettering right there. There's a three-prong three lettering, which represents what Trinity, right? Represents the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in there. You should have light bulbs going off on top of your head. You should have Pringles, little tingly things on the back of your neck because you are seeing the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you go, yay, the rainbow. Because then you sit there and you realize that not salvation was just meant for a few select, which was God's chosen people, amen, but after that, it was made for everybody. And it was a picture of the gospel made available for everybody. Learn to be a student of God's word. Because that's what you need to be able to do, is show people Christ. You need to be able to show Jesus Christ to people. You should be able to flip open your Bible and say, there's Jesus! Okay. Isaiah 53, 5 through 6. Oh, here it is. Here it is. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. You should say, yay, rainbow. When you read that, you go back, you study the, there's only three letters that make up that word in Genesis. Three Hebrew letters. Okay? All right. I, I, I had fun. I taught that in a Sunday school one time. Here. See, the step of submission must be taken. You say, well, I don't like your take, you know, on being submissive to God-given authority, and you're kind of a jerk about it. Well, I'm sorry, but I understand in order for me to be successful in my life, I have to be submissive to that, to God, and I have to be submissive to that God-given authority. It says here in Acts chapter 8, verse 36, and as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. You know, that's why people get baptized, right? Is, is that's that next step of submission, right, unto the Lord. You don't get baptized to get saved. 
Amen? It's something that is totally different. Baptism serves at least three purposes in the believer's life. And by the way, that's one of our Baptist distinctives, isn't it? Believer's baptism. Autonomy of the local church. Right? Priesthood of every believer. Right? Two ordinances of the church. The Lord's Supper and what? Baptism. Right? I is what? We believe in individual soul liberty. What that means is, is we're not the old school, the old world order, which was, hey, if you don't believe the same way I do, you deserve to be under the sword. Individual soul liberty. What's the next P? No, T. It's two offices of the church, right? Simply pastor and deacon. S, living a separated life. Okay, I kind of messed up my spelling. Thanks, Pastor. But baptism serves three purposes. It identifies us with Christ. It's a way of going public with our faith in Him. It illustrates Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It's a picture of what He did for us on the cross. It instructs others of what has taken place in our lives. An old life has been buried in a new life that glorifies God has risen up in its place. Romans 6, 4 says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in what? In newness of life. That's why, yeah, it's okay to come in as you are, right? But you should be changed when you leave. You should be making, today is a day for you to make decisions for Christ. That's why you're here. That's why you're listening to me. I feel sorry for you. That's why you're going to be listening to the Word of God shouldn't be here to be listening to me. You should be listening to what God has to say in His Word. Why? So that you can make a decision based on what God wants you to do. If you're not making any decisions, what are you doing here then? 